there, I'm Sue Elvis from the blog Stories of an Unschooling Family. Welcome to my podcast. This is episode 65 and today I'm going to be talking about criticism. How do we deal with other people's criticism? We get a lot of this when we unschool. And also, when we're criticized, quite often our fears rise to the surface. Perhaps other people are right. How do we deal with this? I'd also like to talk about how our fears and our words affect our children. Do they pick up on our fears? Are they influenced by our words? Do we have to be careful what we say? I've also got a couple of resources to share if I have time. I was talking about responding to unschooling critics only a few weeks ago, so why have I returned to this topic? Well, the other day I was on YouTube doing some browsing. I came across a few unschooling videos, and there was one in particular made by somebody called Skylar the Gymnast. I assume she's about 10 years old, and she was talking about her experience of unschooling, what she liked about it, and what she hated about school. Now she says, in this video, I talk about what I think about schools, as well as life learning or unschooling. Please be nice in the comments. If you don't have anything nice to say, please keep it to yourself. Well, people didn't keep their comments to themselves. There are 860 comments on that video. The video is a couple of years old now, but still, that's a lot of comments. And most of them are negative. Skylar the gymnast had a lot of critics commenting on her video. So what did the comments say? Well, some of them said that homeschooling is lazy. Skylar just couldn't be bothered going to school and learning. They couldn't understand how learning can take place outside of school. Why would anybody want to learn if they're not forced to do so? Everybody else has to go to school, so why shouldn't Skylar go to school? Nobody has the right to stay home and be happy. Some things you've just got to do, and going to school is one of them. Because if you don't go to school, you won't get an education. If you don't finish school and get your certificate, you can't go to university. If you don't go to university, you won't end up with a degree. If you don't get a degree, you won't have a good job. If you don't get a good job, you won't have food. Or so some of the commenters said. I read through a lot of their comments before I watched the video. When I saw all these negative comments, my heart skipped a beat. Would I be able to deal with such criticism? Now I've got a YouTube channel and I've made a lot of videos, but I haven't enabled comments on them. So nobody has stopped by and left 860 negative comments. Well, some of those comments weren't negative, Every now and then, there was a positive comment, such as, You're doing well, kiddo. Keep up the good work. I think maybe as an encouragement. And there was the occasional homeschooler or unschooler who tried to argue the points that the majority of the commentators were making. Not that they were having much success. Yes, so I haven't had any of those types of comments on my YouTube channel. But what if I did? Would I be able to deal with it? 
I guess there's always a danger when we open ourselves up, when we're honest and put ourselves out there in the public eye. There's always a danger that people will come along and criticize us and our opinions. I sometimes wonder if I want to be out there in the public eye because of this risk. Do I want my children to be out there as well? Yeah, it's a big consideration. But as I said, I haven't got any comments on YouTube because I haven't enabled them. The reason I chose that option was because I get comments all over the place, all over the internet, Instagram, Facebook, my blog, Google Plus, very, very occasionally, Twitter. And I just thought, well, it's one more place which I will have to keep my eye on to see what people are saying and to respond to comments because I like to respond to people's comments. I always do. I always have a bit of a conversation with anybody that's kind enough to stop by. So that was my initial reason for not having comments on my YouTube channel. But after reading Skylar's comments, I realize that not having comments also protects my children. They're not going to see critical comments about, for example, the interviews I do of them. Is it right to close off comments? Am I just afraid? Well, I think that if anybody does want to comment on any of my videos, they can do that. All they have to do is click onto the link to my blog and they can leave me whatever type of comment they want. So no, I don't think that I've closed myself off. But then again, perhaps the hostile people on YouTube wouldn't go to the effort of clicking onto the link to my blog. Maybe that's one step too many for them. Maybe it filters out some of that criticism. So why do people react in such a critical manner? Why do they feel they need not only to express their own opinion, but to do it in a very unkind way? Because most of these comments on the video were awful. People don't have communication skills. They have a lack of compassion. And they don't really seem to care how their words affect other people. Maybe they're just lazy in the way they express themselves. Now my daughter Sophie, who's 14, said I was talking about this with her, and she says that people hide behind their computer screens. They're never going to meet the people that they're criticizing. They think they can say whatever they want, and they can't see the other person's reaction. A lot of these people weren't willing to listen to other opinions. They're not open to new ideas. They didn't really want to hear what Skylar had to say. All they were interested in was leaving a hurtful comment. I wonder if the majority of those people who stop by are really happy with their own education. Do they really remember all they learnt at school? Is all the knowledge that they learnt at school relevant to their lives? Were they really happy at school? Did they really make the best friends of their life during their school time? I'm not sure that everybody who left a comment actually had a good school experience. But they don't want to think about alternatives and I think maybe it's easier for them to justify the experience they had. For example, when we learn things that we have no need of, people were saying, it's good for the brain to learn whatever it is, even if you never use it. It's still good for the brain. It's good discipline to learn things we don't want to know. And you never know when that knowledge might come in handy. 
except I think by the time it does, we probably have forgotten it and we'll have to go and learn it all over again. And if people were unhappy at school, they're not saying they want something better for their own children. Instead, they say they survived the school system and they're okay. So their kids will survive too. It'll make them tough. Yeah, they're going to justify the bad experience. And can it just be easier to do what everybody else does? Perhaps nobody wants to know, because that might be too challenging. Now, Skylar didn't answer her critics as far as I could tell. I didn't read every one of those 860 comments, but I did read quite a lot of them. And there were a lot of people discussing things amongst themselves, answering each other's comments. A few people, as I said, tried to be fair, even though they were disagreeing with Skylar. They were being polite, at least. But most, as I said, were very rude. Some even said that they hate the girl. How can they hate her? They don't even know her. They watch one video and they think they know her. They really sort of struck a chord with me. Perhaps they could hate her opinions, but hate the person? I think it's something wrong there. How would I feel if those comments were directed against my own daughter? Yes, should we run away and keep safe? Or can we learn to deal with it? Well, I want to talk about that, some strategies for dealing with criticism. But first of all, I did watch Skylar's video, or most of it. The last couple of minutes wouldn't play on my computer for some reason. But I watched the majority of her video after I read all the comments to see what they were talking about. I'll put the link into the show notes as well in case you're interested in watching the video. As I said, I think Skylar is about 10 years old. That's what she looked like to me. And she sat in a chair in her bedroom, and she spoke off the top of her head, I think. She didn't seem to have any notes with her, and she was a confident speaker. She knew what she wanted to say, and she said it. I think she chose very poor examples to back up her opinion, though. She asked questions like, Why do we need to know the answer to 7 minus 7 off the top of our heads when we have calculators? Maybe she could have chosen a more difficult maths problem. Because 7 minus 7, if you're 10 years old and you don't know that, that is opening yourself up to some negative comments. And a lot of people had a lot to say about that. She also talked a bit about spelling. She can't understand why we would spell things with silent E's, for example. And she tends to want to spell as she hears. And as someone pointed out in the comments, words are spelt a certain way, and we need to know the differences between the different ways of for example, spelling there, T-H-E-R-E and T-H-E-I-R, because they're two completely different words. Maybe she also criticized school a little bit too forcefully and got people offside. I always like to acknowledge that school does exist. It's not perfect. It's not where I want to send my own kids. But my husband's a school teacher. Not all people have the same choices as our family. There are good school teachers. The system isn't perfect, but I don't like to be very aggressive about school. That's some people's choice. Back to how I would deal with critical comments. I've been really lucky. I haven't had any critical comments, really. None that I have found difficult to answer. But, I mean, that might change. Maybe we need to be very knowledgeable about what we believe and our lifestyle. We have to be confident about what we're saying. 
As I said, maybe we have to say things in a non-confrontational manner, not to get people offside before they start listening to us. If people are unkind to us in the comments, and these might be comments on YouTube, on a blog, they might be face-to-face comments, comments in a Facebook feed, maybe. Yes, if any sort of comment is unkind, it doesn't mean that we have to be unkind in return. We don't have to treat others the way they're treating us. Perhaps also we have to recognize when it's a waste of time to respond. Because some people just aren't interested in engaging in a profitable discussion. In a previous podcast, I gave a few ideas for beginning a comment about how we can find some common ground with somebody. Yes, I used to think that kids wouldn't learn unless they were forced either. But I found out different and then go on and give our points of view. However we respond, there are going to be people who will not listen to our opinions. And the only way to cope with that is to be sure that what we're doing is what we want to be doing and do it anyway. Don't let anybody change our minds about how we want to unschool our children. And sometimes that can be really difficult. You see 860 negative comments and you think, I'm in the minority here, perhaps they're right. Which I didn't really think, but it could have happened. We don't want other people to be right, but what they're saying, could it really be true? Maybe we're still being influenced by our own experiences of school. We're still thinking about education in a traditional way, even if we don't want to. So other people's criticism can bring our fears to the front, fears that we've been trying to squash. And then when we see a lot of critical comments about unschooling, yes, our fear gets a look in again. Could other people be right? And we start to go around the circle again, examining it all. Unless, of course, we've worked through all that and we're very confident. So how do we get confident? Well, we could research. Find out more about unschooling and the evidence for it. Kids will learn without force. Most of us have choices. It's not true to say that everybody just has to go to school. Learning can take place outside school. Why shouldn't our lives be happy? We don't have to go to school. It's not our duty to send our kids to school. These are questions we could be thinking about, things that came up in those comments that I was reading. If an unschooler wants to go to university, there are ways to do that. That pathway that I spoke of from school to university to a good job to having food, there are other ways to get to university and maybe some kids don't want to go to university. It doesn't mean they're not going to get a good job. It doesn't mean they're not going to have food. Some of those arguments were really quite stupid. But the one about getting into university, I think parents worry about what if their kids do want to go to university are they jeopardizing their children's futures by unschooling them because of course school kids get drilled and everything they need before they sit the exams which will get them into university but there are other ways perhaps researching those other ways finding out about how other unschoolers have done that got into university or college, got other good jobs, followed their dreams and are happy. As well as doing research, perhaps we can turn things around. 
we can think of things in the opposite view. Does school guarantee success? What is success? Do school kids ever face unemployment? Do some school kids fail to get into university? Are all school kids happy with where they end up? Are we happy? Was the school experience worth it? As I said, were we happy? We could think about our own stories. Were we happy at school? Was all we learnt useful? Do I remember everything we learnt? Did we ever yearn for more time to spend on our interests? And then this one I remember very well. When we finished learning, did we ever sigh with relief and say, I'm never going to learn anything ever again? I remember saying that. Of course, what I meant was, nobody is ever going to make me learn anything ever again. It was such a relief to get to the end of my school days, or university days even. So sometimes I think the problem is with the parent and not with the child. The child is going to learn. The child is going to learn everything she needs to know, and she's going to be motivated to get where she wants to go. But can a parent let go of the fear that they have? Can they really trust that the child will do that? Maybe finding a support community will help people as well, as well as doing research and thinking about all the sorts of questions, comparing school and unschooling, looking at our own stories. Perhaps we also need people who are thinking in a similar way to us. Some people who are willing to look at things in a different way, not the same way that people have been looking at it for a long time. And looking at things for a long time doesn't make them right. Perhaps people have been making mistakes for a very long time. There are lots of articles on the internet about the school system and what's wrong with it. I think a lot of people do agree that school is far from perfect, but people still send their children there. Is it really wrong to opt out of an imperfect system and do something we feel is better for our children? So perhaps I could just sum up a little bit about what I've been talking about. I'll probably repeat myself as well. Maybe we have to be confident of unschooling, research it, know what it's about so we can defend our way of life to other people. And then maybe we need good communication skills to respond to critics, be polite to them, say what we want clearly so they understand. Don't let emotion rule our words. There's a lot of emotion in those negative comments. And deciding, is it worth engaging in a discussion? And if it is worth having a discussion, can we find some common ground to begin that discussion? And maybe we need to pass on our communication skills to our children. I often talk with my girls about communication skills. What is the right way to respond to comments? Quite often they'll say, I have just had an email from somebody and they've said this, or somebody has left a comment on my blog. How do you think I should respond? What is the best way? I think that those things are very, very important. There's a lot of talk about filling our children up with facts, but sometimes I think that personal skills are just as important. These are the sort of skills that I didn't learn about till I was an adult, but which I would like my children to learn about now. And how did I learn them? Following a good example, maybe chatting about them, having discussions like the one I'm having with you now, but I also had this discussion with my daughter Sophie last night as I was thinking about this podcast. And that's how she came to add a comment of her own. Ultimately, other people's opinions about what we do shouldn't matter. 
I think that we have to do what we feel is best for our own families. And that might mean that we have to do without other people's approval. And that can be very difficult because we all like to feel that people approve of what we're doing and we're doing a great job. We do like to hear praise and affirming comments from those around us, especially people that we love. But yes, sometimes it's a choice. Do we do what other people would like us to do so we get that? Or do we do what we feel is best for our own children and go our own way? But of course, we can always join up with an online community or if we are lucky, an unschooling community that's local. I don't have that, but I have plenty of good unschooling friends on the internet. So I'm not really without my tribe, without people who are affirming what I'm doing with my own family. Oh, one last point I'd like to make is that it seems that unschoolers, when they're making comments, when they're responding to their critics, they have to use proper grammar and spelling, even when they're writing a quick comment. Nobody else does. Everybody else on the internet can use abbreviations and forget about the commas and capitalization and can say the wrong words and nobody thinks anything of it. But because we're unschoolers, we will be criticized if we're not perfect. I noticed that in those 860 comments. Someone did respond to that. I'd like to talk about a couple of videos I made recently. I mentioned them last week. I made one of them in the car on the way home from our last music video shoot. And we were talking about the joy of unschooling, how we feel so privileged to be unschoolers. It is a very joyful life and why people who have unschooled would choose to go to school. As I said last week, it wasn't a perfect video, and later on, I made another one. I interviewed Sophie, and I called this one Self-Directed Learning, an Unschooling Interview. And I asked Sophie various questions, such as, what motivates her to learn? Does she know how to learn in a deep way? Does she know everything school kids know? Why would an unschooled child want to go to school? Am I responsible letting Sophie direct her own learning? What about her future? Will she come back to me one day and say, you should have made me learn certain things just in case. I don't know what I need to know and now my future is ruined. And Sophie is very good to interview. She always has some good opinions and she answered all those questions for me. One point that came across as we were talking is how a parent's words and fears can influence a child. We were talking especially about how an unschooled teenager might decide that they don't know anything. They're getting left behind. They need to go to school so that they can catch up and so that they will have a successful future. They might want to get into university or get a good job. Why would an unschooled teenager suddenly think that they're not learning anything? Don't they value their own interests? Maybe their parents don't value those interests and a child has picked up on that. And they think that the only valuable learning that goes on is that sort of learning that school kids do. And so they want to go to school. Yes, a parent's words and fears can influence a child. This reminded me of a blog post I wrote a couple of years ago, I think. It's called When Worry Gets in the Way of Love. And I went and searched it out this morning after I was thinking about Sophie's video and what she'd said. 
so I hope you don't mind if I read this to you. Sometimes life can feel very overwhelming. Parenting is not always easy. There are so many concerns and worries. It starts very early. Do I have enough milk for my baby? When will my child sleep through the night? Will she ever wean? How long will it be before she gets out of nappies? Then when a child gets to school age, it gets worse, especially if we decide to homeschool. Will my child learn to read? Will she ever learn to write? Will she become addicted to computer games? Will she learn everything she needs to know? Sometimes we wonder if we should pass all that worry on to someone else and send our children to school, but we battle on. It's our duty. Even when a child is almost grown, the worries do not stop. Will she get into university? Will she get a job? Will she ever leave home and be able to look after herself? Will she find someone suitable to marry? Will she always love her faith? The concerns are endless. Do our kids know how much we worry? If we don't talk about our concerns directly to our children, they might hear us mulling them over with our husbands or other mothers. Even if we never say a word, they can still pick up on our moods and attitudes. And I wonder how that makes our children feel. We might assume they feel loved, knowing we worry about them all the time. We wouldn't worry if we didn't care, would we? But recently, I had another thought. What if my children came to the conclusion that all these concerns were making me unhappy? Instead of feeling loved, they might feel they were just a problem to me. Mothering should be a pleasure, life should be joyful, and our children should feel enjoyed and loved. But unfortunately, so many concerns get in the way. I am tucking my youngest girls into bed. I really enjoyed spending time with you today, I say. The girls' eyes glow with happiness. I love you, Mum, they both say as they wrap their arms around me. I love you too, I reply. I love being your mother. I turn off the light. It's the end of another joy-filled day, a day in which I refuse to be anxious. My children will get where they are meant to go, because God will take care of that. All I have to do is focus on this present moment, I can't worry, even though I'm tempted to at times, because I want to enjoy my children, make sure they feel enjoyed, and I want nothing to get in the way of love. Even if you don't believe in God, I still believe that children will get where they want to go. They're motivated. They can learn. They'll get there. We should just let go of our fears and trust and love. recording this on the last day of March, which means tomorrow is the first day of Camp NaNoWriMo, National Novel Writing Month, and my girls, well three of them, are all set to write new novels. For 30 days they're going to be writing and writing until they have written at least 50,000 words. Now for Camp NaNoWriMo, you don't have to write a novel. You can write anything you like. And the total doesn't have to be 50,000 words. It can be much lower. Camp NaNoWriMo is slightly different from National Novel Writing Month in November. 
their rules aren't quite as rigid. You have more choice. But I think my girls are going to choose to write novels of 50,000 words or more, just like they do in November. Obviously, my girls enjoy writing, just like I do. I sometimes wonder about that. Did they pick up on my love of learning, follow my example? Perhaps they just have the writing genes. Many times people say to me, my children aren't writers. How can I encourage them to write? And so I share my ideas about being a good example. I've spoken about this in podcasts before. But the other day I was listening to a podcast and found a resource that might help some people with reluctant writers. That's what I want to share with you now. I was listening to Pam Barnhill's Your Morning Basket podcast, and she had an episode where she interviewed Julie Bogart, who is the founder of Brave Writer. It's a writing course. And she was talking about free writing. Basically, I think this is the idea. We all have something we could write about. Writing is a wonderful way of expressing everything within us. But a lot of people, children especially, are afraid of writing. What will people say? It's a confronting thing. Can we really put our words down on paper? Sometimes we don't like our own words, let alone letting anybody else read them and criticize them. Words are very precious. Our thoughts inside us are very precious. Can we really write them down? And so I suppose a lot of people are reluctant to do that. And Julie talks about how we can encourage our children to have the confidence to come out and write words. A lot of the ideas she talks about are things that I've talked about as well, about not worrying about spelling, to find something positive to say about every piece of writing. The mechanics will come. What is most important is the thoughts that come out, that the fact is that somebody has written something. She suggests that every Friday, a family will sit down and do some free writing together. Put a timer on and write anything and everything that comes to mind for a certain period of time. Maybe three minutes to start with, five minutes, work up to ten minutes. It doesn't matter what a child writes. If a child can't think of anything to write, they can write, I don't know what to write. And a mother writes as well, because of course she's got to be a good example. I like the feeling that a child's writing is respected. And they're not criticized. I'm not sure about having a regular time for writing when you sit around the table and say now's our time to do free writing but I guess that it could be an invitation only. Would you like to come and write with me? I'm going to do some free writing. Julie talked about her course The Writer's Jungle. I'll read a little bit of a description about it. It says, The Writer's Jungle is designed to teach the homeschooling parent how to teach writing and is the centerpiece of the Brave Writer program. The results? An activated writing voice and a nurturing, tear-free relationship with you, the parent, editor, coach and ally. The Writer's Jungle works for all students any age. This liberating, powerful home study course comes in a binder format or as a digital download. Now, I don't think this is the sort of course that my children need. They are self-motivated, and we all know enough about writing, maybe, that we don't need a course, but other people might like it. It might work. I've heard lots of people say they love Julie Bogart, her blog, Brave Writer, and her writing resources. 
In the podcast, she suggested that a parent do free writing with their children for ten weeks. After ten weeks, there'll be ten pieces of writing, and at that point, a child will be asked to choose a piece of writing to improve, to work on. They can also screw up and throw in the bin any piece of writing that they particularly hate, that they don't want to keep. Now, I don't know anything more about the writing process and the writing course from then that point onwards because Julie didn't say anything about the next stage, but you can find that in the Writer's Jungle, I'm sure. There was just one point that I wasn't quite sure about. I would be interested to hear your opinion as well. Julie was talking about respecting children as writers, but then she said that when a child screws up a piece of writing they particularly hate and they throw it in the bin, of course, a parent might go and retrieve that piece of writing in the dead of night when no one's looking, unscrew it, and pop it in a book of memories to keep it forever. And I can understand why a parent might want to do this. This is a piece of their child, a memory. They want to keep it forever. But as I was talking to my own girls, I was mulling this point over with them. If we want people to respect us as adults, we have to respect children as well. They're people. Their writing is important to them. We have to respect their decision to throw it in the bin. And they believe that it has gone. It's gone into the bin and disappeared forever. How would they feel if they found out that we retrieved it and kept it despite that? They weren't really allowed to throw it away. Yeah, I've been mulling that thought over. One final resource I want to mention is a maths one. We've been talking about real-life maths. Now, I have an unschooling friend called Larkin who loves maths, and she reminded me that maths isn't always about real life, that we can learn maths just for its own sake. She likes to work her way through problems just for the fun of it. And I agree with her entirely. Maths can be a very creative subject. Sophie does maths just because she likes it. And we're always on the lookout for ways in which we can do maths in a creative way. We can use maths like writing. So I said to Larkin that I would talk about creative maths as well as real-life maths, and I have invited her to share some of her favorite resources, her favorite maths resources that she just likes to visit and use purely because she enjoys maths. They might have no use in the real world whatsoever, and she's going to put together a list for me. But today I want to go back to real-life maths because that's what I was looking at this morning. I just had a glance at the school syllabus, the syllabus that our children are supposed to follow as homeschoolers if they want to be registered. So I scrolled through the maths syllabus and the words Medicare levy caught my eye. In Australia, we have what's called Medicare. Everybody can see a doctor or go to hospital and it's covered by Medicare. Every taxpayer has to pay a levy towards Medicare. And that depends on a person's earnings. For an average wage earner, they have to pay 2% of their taxable income as a Medicare levy. Now the girls know about Medicare because we go to the doctors. If I have had to pay for the doctor's services, I will then go and put a claim into Medicare and get a proportion of that back. This is all real life maths. But I haven't ever thought of recording it. 
When we go to the doctors, we go to the doctors, I pay the bill, I claim it back. But maybe I should put all that in my records book, talk about it with the girls. These are things they do need to know for their future adult lives. I did find some documents online about the Medicare levy and what Medicare means, and I clipped those into my notebook today because I discussed them with my girls over a cup of coffee. I just threw out comments like, I've been reading about Medicare. Do you know the Medicare levy is 2%? Do you know what that means? Would you like to come and have a look? And they did. And so I recorded those notes in my notebook. We've covered the Medicare levy. And that's part of financial maths for stage five of the Australian school's syllabus. I could also do the same thing with tax. And there's other things in the syllabus that caught my eye, which wouldn't be too difficult to talk about. Things that my girls have to learn anyway, which are part of real life maths. And I just clip those documents into my Evernote notebook as we discuss them or as they come up in our everyday lives. As usual, I'll put together some show notes and I'll put those on my blog, Stories of an Unschooling Family. There's the link to that video I was discussing, the resources. I don't know what else I'll go through. Oh, the podcast and Julie Bogart's writing course. I hope you'll feel welcome to stop by my blog. If you'd like to comment on anything that I've said today, or if you just like to stop by and say hello. Sometimes it is nice to hear from people, get a little bit of feedback. Now, you know, you can find me all around the internet, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, iTunes, Podbean, and of course my blog, Stories of an Unschooling Family. I'd just like to thank you for listening to this episode, and I'll be back next week with episode 66. Until then, trust, respect, and love unconditionally. <laughs>